You're listening to After the Encore, the music podcast that explores what happens after the music fades, what happens after the encore. I'm your host, Joe Shaw, and on this special B-side edition of the podcast, I had the pleasure of speaking to Garrett Owen. Garrett has an incredible story of growing up in Africa and South America, coming to America, trying to orient himself now as a 19-year-old, how not being able to pursue music in the way he wanted to led him down a very dark path, but how he's now climbed out of that area and created some groundbreaking and fascinating music that's getting a lot of notoriety and steam. Garrett and I talk about the essence of music. We talk about his inspirations and his story. It's a really great conversation. I know you're absolutely going to love it. So stick around. My conversation with Garrett will be right up after this. You're listening to After the Encore. I'm your host, Joe Shaw, and I am here for a little bit longer than an hour, and we're not in a forest. We're uh, recording over Zoom. Mr. Garrett Owen. Garrett, how are you doing today? Good, man. Thanks so much for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah, I'm really excited to dig in, mainly because I've been trying to record with you for a while, and unfortunately, our schedules just never linked up for it to happen until now. But I'm glad it's finally happening, because I think you, your music is something that really speaks to me in a variety of ways, whether I'm meditative, whether I'm driving across vast Texas landscapes, whether I'm just trying to relax. I mean, there's a variety of ways in which your music speaks to me and I interact with it. And so I'm excited to talk about some of the stories behind the songs, get a little bit of your perspective. But to, to kick it off, I really want to set the tone and the mood for the episode and ask you a question um, that I like to ask everybody that comes on, and that is, what does music mean to you? Now, I'll, I'll tell a story as a preface for <laughs> sure. that, that that is not the answer, and then I'll and then I'll try and give an actual answer. Sure. I did a, an interview thing recently where where I thought the initial interview went really well, <laughs> and then. And then, and then the, the journalist of sorts called me the day before the story was going to come out and, go, and says, I, I just have a couple of follow-up questions, and, <laughs> and they are these. Uh, why, do you do, why do you do Americana, and why do you like music? <laughs> and, 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 right, and right then in my head, like, all that all those things I thought about how the interview had gone well, like all that disappeared. Sure. And, 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 and I was left with, wait, like, I don't, I, I gave an answer because I felt pressured and on the spot. And the answer was atrocious, whatever <laughs> it was. And, but then the next day when, when the thing came out, I thought, I don't do Americana. Right. I'm not, I'm not making a conscious choice. Like right. I make music. If, yeah. if like that, that scene in the, in the departed where Jack Nicholson is, ta- is talking about John Lennon. Yeah. He goes like, like, like John Lennon said, if you gave me a tube or I'd get something out of it. Like, yeah. <laughs> I kind of, I kind of feel like you could set me down in front of any or any 
any uh, vehicle for artistic expression. And given enough time, I would do something with it. Right. What, What it ends up being called later has nothing to do with me or what I actually did with it. Right. Exactly. So, (laughs) but that's, that story is just to kind of demonstrate not my frustration with the question that you asked, but my first, my frustration with, with, or, or my, my inability to compartmentalize things in a, in a way that is easily, uh, digestible right right (laughs) (laughs) that that if you if if, like if i don't know like if you if you if you let me talk for 45 minutes about songwriting what i'll end up saying is that like i don't write songs the universe gives them to me Mm. when when my brain is available to them Mm. but like but but what but my my ability to try and create songs always results in in failure and and suicide attempts. <laughs> oh, I mean, that's fair. No, that's I think that's about a very valid point that you bring up though because it's you know it's it's the ability to recognize when you're being given something from the universe, right? And and recognize when those moments are occurring and then be able to capture them and then in such a way that you can get something out of them because you are correct in that you do find one does find moments where you're trying to force an artistic expression and when people are saying words like I'm just hitting a wall I'm just blocked etc you know it could be that it's not the right moment or time or project to be working on and I think I think, you know, I, I heard a quote from someone the other, like not too long ago who was in business and they said, we all get good, quote unquote, good luck every single day. And it is up to the people, the people who are the most fortuitous and most successful recognize the luck, however minor or major it is, and turn it into something else. You know, and they talk about like you catch a green light that empowers you to get to the studio 15 minutes early. Now you have 15 extra minutes to work on a song you didn't think you were going to be able to work on. You turn that into your hit single. That single goes platinum, et cetera, et cetera. And by just going, oh, cool, I got a green light. Now I can sit over here and eat a bag of Doritos while I wait for everybody to boot stuff up. I mean, that's wasting the good luck, right? But but recognizing it and using the moment into your advantage and recognizing when you've got that song and putting that down, that is where the magic happens and the expression occurs. And I think that's so interesting that you put it that way because I do firmly believe that there's a lot to that. I'd love to to wind the clock back a little bit and talk about some of your early days oh, but I, I do want to try and oh, give yeah. an answer oh sure yeah, was, yeah. <laughs> was there was that was 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 the actual question why do i like music or what do i love about what does music? it what does music mean to you what does it mean, mean to, to you? me ah, man okay which is a little bit different it, it's not why do you like music right, well right, i think right. like everybody right, can be right, like because right. uh, i do like i'm human yeah or, or <laughs> not naming. Or, or like the or like a thing that's become very classic to me is like, what do you, what do you like about music? Right. And, and Russell from the band Stillwater and almost famous says everything. Right. And, and, and that is, and that is the only, that's the only correct answer. Yes. I think. Yeah. The only, uh, but what does music mean to you has a, man, that's a lot. Um, 
I mean, for me, it's it's it it means it means it means friendship, salvation, um, a way to get people to like me sometimes. Sure, sure, <laughs> like, fair. Uh, a a way to get people to understand who I am in a way that they never would otherwise. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and those are all things that. Like I just used the word me five times, but, but, <laughs> um, so in that way, it, it means a, a mode of expression mm. for me. Yeah. But, but, but that really, that, that comes second. Sure. First, there have been a bunch of moments in my life where, <laughs> Where where music ended up being my best friend, sure, and and that ha- and uh, I I think I think about age I started playing guitar at fourteen, age age uh, age twelve. When I was twelve was probably when I first started seeing like viewing music as as a as an entity. Mm-hmm all on its own and it's it's literally a thing with personalities and feelings and and like you hear a thing and you hear a thing and it makes you feel a thing right and you hear a thing and you see a thing and and now you have association yes and that's um that's a that's a big big part of it that i've i've lately been been going back to the music that I loved most when I was 15 and in the capital city of Ecuador in, I did, I did all my high school years in South America. Yeah. And Quito is like the bustling metropolis of, of Ecuador. But in that way, it's a very dirty city uh, where the poverty number numbers are pretty high so it feels herb it's urban but it's a very grimy dirty kind of urban sure and, and i spent a lot i spent a lot of time walking across that city to do various things and, and walk to school walk to the mall with my best friend to to buy guitar magazines um and me me and my best friend david tally we would buy like we would make we would walk to the mall every couple of weeks and 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 buy CDs and be like, which one, which one are you getting? Or which one are you getting? And, and we did, and they actually had, like, even though this was Ecuador and it's a third world country at the time, tower records was huge sure. worldwide. And they, and they had, you know, and they, and you could, and the headphones sucked, but you could, but you could hang out for like an hour by the listening kiosks. Yeah. And, and with those, big gnarly headphones on yeah Yeah, try like you'd scan the cd and then try and and then try and like try out try out the cd basically and listen to snippets of each song right um i was about kind of in that time when i started to see music it's like this is like uh, i'll go through i'll go through friends in life but but music will probably be the only permanent friend. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> like every, yeah. Every, every friend or not every friend, but 
most friends in your life have an expiration date. Like right. Music has no has no expiration date. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. So music has been so it's very emotive for you, and it's it's been your best friend at a lot of times. And you know, has there been? Um, well, I think we're gonna get to you know, there's been maybe some rougher patches in your life than 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 people know and we can dig into that for sure but you know you brought up I, I think it's I think it's I do want to pause and I want to say I think it's very very intentional with the use of the word friend because of the fact that it is I feel music as an entity is very much a living breathing thing and it is something that can wrap itself around us to you know, keep us warm, help us feel safe, allow us to cry and emote and, and bring our full emotional spectrum out. And it can also, you know, be the catalyst for some, not some great stuff. It, it, it is there through the ups and downs and through all of the times. And I think when one thinks about music, if one thinks about music in purely, um, um, a, a basic existence of, oh, I'm going to put this on as I'm driving or, oh, I'm just, it's on in the background. It's mu it's elevator music and it's music in the department store or whatever. Then you're losing the, the essence of it. But if you start really engaging with music and listening and, and just sitting down with, you know, a cup of coffee or a cup of tea or glass of wine and just really letting the music wash over you, you're finding the the essence of it is engaging with you in a very different way in a very physical friendship type of a way as if there was somebody sitting there interacting with you at the moment so i think that's beautiful the way that you put it i absolutely love that it's fantastic now right right <laughs> <laughs> but what but seriously why do you do americana no i'm kidding i'm kidding i'm kidding, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. no totally um which is so weird. Like, just side note, I don't, I don't know that I would ever categorize your music as Americana. Like, I'm doing air quotes, Americana. I've spoken to several Americana artists on the show, and the music is there's a clear distinction. But that that's just my opinion. But I digress. Um, <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, but I do want to wind the clock back. And you mentioned you talked about being in Ecuador. So I want to I want to know what was it like for you growing up. Uh, so your parents were uh, missionaries, correct? Missionaries to Tanzania and Ecuador, is that correct? Yeah, Tanzania for Tanzania. Excuse me. And, and and you and you actually kind of said it the way that a that an East African would say it. Okay. They would, they would be more likely to to actually pronounce it tan, Tanzania. Okay. Not, not the way I I was. Just, it's funny, like with with Spanish, I I spend most of my time pronouncing. Spanish words correctly and and actually catching a lot of heat for it in Texas. Oh, sure. <laughs> but but whereas for some reason with with my east well with yeah, my east african countries I'll go ahead and just pronounce everything like a white person <laughs> whereas you you actually you actually got closer to to doing it the most respectful way. Um That's funny. <laughs> but yeah, so Tanzania 5 years Nairobi, Kenya, three years, Louisiana, three years, then, so in this order, then Ecuador, seven years. That's crazy. So I think, 
a lot of people have spoken about what it was like to move a lot as a kid, right? And that's an uh-huh. understatement for what you did. But I want to know, what uh-huh. was it like for you to be in the, I, well, I guess, let me say this. I guess it wasn't any different or remarkable to you because it was what you knew as far as moving around to different places, but it's it's all, it's all kinds of remarkable now. (laughs) Sure. Right. That's totally, totally. (laughs) But I think it probably was less so then, but looking back in hindsight, yeah, we're, we're all idiots when we're in the middle of something. Right. <laughs> like, like, I don't, and I have zero idea how to appreciate it. Right. Yeah. We're all going to be like 95 on a rocking chair on a big old porch one day going, well, this whole music thing was super cool. Uh, I wish I had appreciated it back then. Anyways, but but tell me what your perspective has been looking back growing up in those different areas and what life was like to you and how you adjusted to each new setting. Poorly, (laughs) most of the time. No, I mean, there were... Yeah, there were things that I adjusted to poorly and, and things I probably things that to my brain just went completely under the radar. Um, I think when we were in Ecuador, I, I just, I demonstrated a pretty good, uh, like just an awful amount of frustration for being there. Like a place, a place becomes a place that you're used to. And you think that you're not enjoying it. Hmm. And then, but you get used to being there. And then, and then when you, when you finally get to the place that, you know, where the majority of your family lives, where you're in a way from, but have never spent any time almost. Right. Then you, then you get to that place and you realize my, my home <laughs> is all those other places. Right. I, like emotionally speaking, I, I, I never wanted to be there, but yeah. my home is, is Tanzania, Kenya, Ecuador, a little bit Louisiana, but that's pushing it. But I mean, we were, we were only there for three years. And while I, I did get to, I got around to having friends there. Um, you know, it's, it's just a fraction of the time spent those other places. Right. Um, uh, but yeah, I mean, bringing it back to music, music was one of the ways that I coped with, with our, with, with our move to, to South America. Yeah. I, I just, I got, I got addicted like so addicted to music that I was, I was blowing whatever, whatever my allowance was, I, I was blowing it all on, on for, for a few years, I was blowing it all on CDs. Like every, every time, every time we went to the mall, I was spending all of my personal money on CDs. Was there a specific um, artist or genre that you were drawn to, or was it just whatever you could get your hands on? It's, you know, kind of funny, right? Right around 
we moved to Ecuador in 98. And I yep. think just about the biggest song in the world in, in 98. Or the biggest songs in the world in 98 were, were songs associated with soundtracks. Oh, and those yeah. soundtracks and those soundtracks were City of Angels, Armageddon, and Aerosmith. Don't want to miss a thing. Was like that was worldwide. Like right. you could you could you could fly from from Louisiana to Ecuador and hear that song in both countries. <laughs> and the same and the same deal and the same thing. With the Goo Goo Dolls, with Iris. Oh you could, yeah, you, like like we flew to Ecuador from the U.S. and I heard the song when we got to Ecuador. <laughs> the following the following day, in a mall. So so I'm so I'm walking around in a, in a in a country that's brand new to me, and every, every everybody looked you know. Um. All the all the other people around me are a completely different skin color than me. Right, they're kind of basically kind of to to be to be frank, like small brown indigenous people, and but but a lot but some of them look like indigenous Ecuadorians, and and sure. some of them don't look don't look like that at all. Like you right. would see some some of, some of the what we call the the Indios that were wearing like a traditional indigenous ecuadorian thing uh like ponchos and and these and these very brightly colored ecuadorian pants and stuff and you would see some of that but then you'd see attempts at, at dressing like a westerner right yeah and 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 stores that were kind of like like the south american version of a hot topic oh my gosh <laughs> yeah and yeah but and 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 uh and I probably made my first attempt at speaking Spanish that week. Yeah. Um and and it went I'm sure it went really badly. Yeah. <laughs> but and 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 there's food floating around that, that I that I've never seen before that, that I grew to really enjoy. But yeah, so music was one of those things that, like, you when we were hopping countries, the 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 one the one constant <laughs> was was music, and I think I, I bought the the soundtracks I just mentioned. I think I bought both of those soundtracks in in Ecuador. Yeah, um, I mean that's a uh, yeah that's a good point that you bring up the you know, moving from place to place to place and, and changing locations is very difficult to do in general, especially as a kid growing up. But to be able to have, as you talked about earlier, a friend, you know, music as a friend, it is that constant, as you just brought up, from place to place, especially with the literal playing of the same song in both spots. And so at the very least, when you are searching for some type of anchor in this new place, getting to have that same song 
and same style of music and be able to identify, okay, this, this is something I know and I feel comfortable with that will then allow you to start. Okay. Let me, let me get comfortable with the food. Let me get comfortable with the people. Let me get comfortable with everywhere else, everything else associated to this new place. Yeah. Um, I, I think it's so interesting, um, your foundation of having music be that one constant and the friend, because I think when I speak to different artists here, we talk about music being, you know, everything, everything to me, it comes out of me. I can't stop writing. I have to engage with it. And all of that is true. But I think for you to have the, the physical, uh, relationship with music as the uh, friend and the one constant in your life through a lot of change is really interesting um, because I feel it reflected in a lot of your music, especially, you know, we talk about, especially your, your most recent album, we're going to get into it later, but Quiet Lives, there's so much within Quiet Lives where you can feel that relationship with music. I oh. feel very, very, is very prevalent throughout it. But, but, uh, but you're listening to After the Encore. I'm your host, Joe Shaw, and we'll be right back after this. There's something wrong with my nose Cause I still smell you The distance makes the heart grow fonder And why do I still hate you? If distance makes the heart Listening to After the Encore, I'm your host Joe Shaw, and I'm back with Garrett Owen. And now let's—I really want to get your perspective on moving back to America, or really—I know you mentioned being in Louisiana for three years, so it's technically moving back, but really it's moving to America for the first time for a long period of time. So. What was it like? What was the catalyst for you to come to America? And what was it like for you to start transitioning into, how do I want to frame this? Into a, a place where it looked like based on how you look and sound as an individual, you should fit right in. But yet you've had this upbringing in a completely different part of the world. So what was it like for you to adjust to that? So what was the catalyst to bring you here? And then what was your adjustment period like? Um, well, my, my parents quit being missionaries. They didn't, they didn't quit working, but they, they quit being missionaries. And my, my sister graduated high school. My, my sister and I are a year apart. Okay. I'm a year older. Her last year of high school, it, it, I, th I think it was important. I think that like we stayed as long as we stayed over there so she could complete high school in Ecuador and then, and then come to the States. I actually, I got my GED 
the year before what would have been our last year of high school. Okay. <laughs> well, um, and, and yeah, so we, we came back because my, my parents quit being missionaries. They were part of the Southern Baptist General Convention, and mm. there there was a big, around that time, 2000, 2003-ish, there was a big divide in the Southern Baptist General Convention where uh, a gentleman became president of the, <laughs> the Southern Baptist General Convention who he, he wrote something into into like the mission statement <laughs> that that my parents and, and a whole bunch of other missionaries didn't agree with. You know, I think I remember this. I, uh, I went to Howard Payne University in Brownwood, which is a Southern Baptist private school. Mm-hmm. And uh, I double majored in theater and theology. And for one of my, I got a scholarship um, for being a theology student and, and meeting certain other requirements. But part of my scholarship was I had to take this class called um, the, Hi- uh, the History of the Baptist Church or something like that. A real, like, could have been a real BS class, but luckily my professor had tenure. <laughs> my professor had tenure and didn't care. And so he was very transparent about how awful a lot of the historical stuff was. So I actually was really appreciative of taking it. But that mm. part, that did come up because because I took that class in 2007. So it was just four years removed from the, the convention that you're talking about. I forget exactly what was written into the statement, but I do remember it causing a big uproar and a big divide. And a lot of people went away from the denomination because of what was written into the mission statement during that convention year. Yeah, it was a, yeah, I can, I can vaguely remember what it was. It was kind of a, Say that <laughs> you just, as a person, decide that um, that part where where it says the the word was God, mm-hmm. where you make that um, you write that in into a set into a set of rules that views that as something that is meant to be taken literally as that's if right. to say that the bible itself is now god that's right that's 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 what caused the separation there where the dude kind of wrote it to be taken that way and right. and was literally asking missionaries if if they agreed and if they said no he was he was firing them <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah that's um, right that's right that's that's kind of what went on there or not kind of i mean my understanding is that, that that's what happened there right. and that when when my parents heard about that happening they decided that like we're we're kind of we're gonna give our years notice <laughs> right <to speak. laughs> And I'm trying to see who that was. I believe that was, uh, no, this is something else. Never mind. I was thought I found the, the thing you were talking about, but I did not. So we'll disregard that. But, <laughs> but so that was the catalyst then for them ending, uh, their work as missionaries at the, t- in, in that way. And so is that what brought you back to, or brought you to America? Yeah, I just came, okay. just came back, came back with the fam and, 
my sister and me and my sister, we came back for a little while uh, together, but then my sister ended up doing a year abroad. I, I stayed and my, my first year back was pretty awful. I uh, didn't, didn't do any real social adjusting <laughs> that, that first year back. Didn't make any friends. I actually drove all the way to Oklahoma a few times. Oh, learned to learned to drive in my first year back at 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 nineteen, and uh, <laughs> and 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 then drove all the way to Oklahoma like five or six times in a six month period to to visit like the the only friends that like we happened like it just so happened that we like we were pretty good buddies in Ecuador graduated that that same or would have graduated that same year and like his family moved to Oklahoma after after that whole kind of dismantling of the the Southern Baptist right. General Convention or, or or slight dismantling sure yeah I, mean, no, I got you <laughs> not 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 everybody left but a lot right. of people left um and 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 we moved to to this part of Texas so i i spent a bunch of that year just like desperate to go see my my buddy sure. in uh i mean it's the only it's the only in, relationship in, that in you Alabama. had yeah it's the only the only friendship and the only tie that you had at that point um and you know i think i think truthfully it it can make a lot of sense that you had a difficult time adjusting i mean you'd spent your entire life moving mm-hmm. from place to place to place to place. So you were almost you in your formative years, you were trained subconsciously like, ah, let's not try and make a lot of hard, fast ties because I might like they could break and then I move away and then I go somewhere else. And so I get totally get that. I mean, that makes sense. So, so a very difficult adjustment period. You're 19 at the time This is what like mid 2000. So between 2000, you said 2003, um, yeah, I think we, I think we came back in 2003 or okay. two or, or 04, one okay. of those. So right yeah. around in the mid two, mid 2000s, early to mid 2000s coming back. And then what was it? I know that for, it was, it was, it, and I, and I can help us maybe it was the year or one of, one of those summers, one of those two, 2003, summer 03 or 04, one of those summers I was in. I was staying in a church guest house watching Saturday Night Live when Ashley Simpson lip sang. Oh, yes. <laughs> and then did I the was, little dance and, and walked off stage. <laughs> I was watching live when, and I was so mortified for her sure. that I dove at the remote to turn to turn the TV off. Cause I couldn't stand to watch her have this embarrassing moment sure. on, on national TV. Oh, but so man. that takes me back. I can, so I can, I have a pretty, I have a pretty, it's like, it's weird what you choose to associate with <laughs> when, yeah. you know, yeah, when you that. were in a certain place, but I can remember being like, that was very much within the first year of us being of, of me being back here or right. within the first year and a half or so. Yeah. So no, that's, that's <laughs> crazy. So, so what did, so I know that life was 
you know, difficult for adjustment period. And as I understand it, you tried to go to school to learn jazz. Is that, is that correct? Or was that a little bit later? What was that like? No, yeah, to- yeah, totally. Right around that time, like right after that, I think. And, uh, October 2004, by the by the way, that was when okay, she cool. lip synced on SNL. So October 23rd, 2004, was yeah. when that happened. So for timeline purposes, right on. <laughs> Good deal. So I'm gonna I'm gonna go ahead and think that it was. Wow. Okay. I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna think that that was maybe my during my first year of. Of being back. Sure. Then the fall, then... Then it would have maybe been... Oh, five, when I started going to South Plains College to, to try to study jazz. Um, what was your, what was your um, draw to study jazz? I mean, obviously, you you talked about playing the guitar at fourteen, um, so you've been musically inclined for a while. Um, but what specifically drew you to jazz? Well, it's it it's gonna sound like nonsense, and, and it kind <laughs> of is nonsense. But but <laughs> slash of Guns and Roses. Okay actually got me to to decide that i wanted because i think most most 15 year old boy guitar players you're not gonna like jazz you're gonna choose to like jazz Mm. and then after choosing to like jazz for for a number of months then you like jazz okay because the the problem with classic jazz for somebody my age in this state of the world is that recording technology has come so, so far, but the stuff that is classic for a jazzer, that stuff was recorded at a time when recording technology was, was just bad. (laughs) And, and so you, you hear it and, and what, what you're thinking sounds bad is not the music or the musician, but sonically what's going on is bad. What's going on musically is the best stuff to ever happen to music, period. But what but what but what you're hearing sonically is just not a good representation of it. So I'm gonna I'm gonna go I love giving people the long answers. So <laughs> that's fair. So that's what I'm so that's what I'm doing. I there was an issue of guitar world and, and me and me and my buddy that I was telling you about that we would, we would walk like four or five miles to go to the mall. Yeah. Uh, and where, when we would buy our CDs, sometimes we were also blowing all of our allowance on guitar magazines. And was this back in Ecuador? I taught, yeah, that okay. was in Ecuador. In, gotcha. in Ecuador, I taught, I like, I, I taught myself, exclusively exclusively how to play guitar from guitar magazines i didn't have any other any other method but i was getting guitar magazines and i was doing 
and I would do what the guitar magazine said, or I would try really hard. And, and that's how I was teaching myself to play guitar. Uh, um, there was even an issue with the, where it explained how to read tablature. And, oh, yeah. and I was off and I was off to the races after that one. Like once I had that down, uh, like I'm, I'm almost as good at reading tabs as a concert violinist is at reading sheet music. Oh, wow. That's awesome. <laughs> but, but, but in turn, I'm awful. Um, with listening, uh, I'm I'm awful at I'm pretty decent at playing by ear, mm-hmm. but I'm really terrible at uh at reading actual sheet music. Like oh, I try, sure. I, I kind of learned in college, but I'm pretty awful at it. I'm gonna have to plug this thing in um in a, in a minute, but after I finish this really long answer, um <laughs> the slash thing. There was an issue of a Guitar World magazine where Slash explains he 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 describes an hour's worth of music. Like what what's his favorite like hours worth of music where it's it's his favorite songs but it's literally the piece was called 60 minutes and it would <laughs> and the and the guitar player would describe like a 60 minute playlist basically. And and he had one of the songs in there that I'd never heard of was was some John McLaughlin uh, Mahavishnu Orchestra, like really, really, really high art. Yeah. Uh, fusion, fusion jazz, like shred fusion jazz guitar stuff, and I think there there may have even been a, a, a Jingle Reinhardt piece in there as well, and. I think there was a there was something by the Clash. There was maybe a Billie Holiday song, and there were there were some Kiss songs. There was Metallica, uh, a bunch of Rolling Stones. Like from reading interviews with Slash, what you really end up interpreting is that Slash's favorite music ever made is music made by by the Rolling Stones, <laughs> and, and and a few and a and a few songs by a band called UFO. Okay. And kind of a kind of like a, a late seventies like guitar rock, but but the guitar solos were just outstanding. Yeah. And uh, but but it was from that that piece this this interview or that thing that Slash submitted to them where he he explains why he likes these songs. And I decided, like, if if Slash is really great and I think Slash is great and he listens to he listens to all these different genres that don't have anything to do with the music that he actually makes. Yeah. Then no matter what music I end up making, I need to listen to lots of music. Sure. I just need to listen to lots of stuff. So so that's when my allowance started going towards like Nat King Cole, Django Reinhardt charlie parker charlie christian if i could which i could actually find a charlie christian cd in ecuador and that was amazing he, he's basically like he's basically the first jazz guitar player in the history of the instrument wow um, and uh he, he was born he was born somewhere in south texas uh, 
actually, yeah. But so it, that piece with Slash kind of made me. I made. I made a. It was like I, I made an assumption about musical ethics. Sure. And I decided that, like, like, as a if I if I'm if I if I'm gonna be a real musician. <laughs> Then I need to listen to lots of stuff. I right. just need to listen to everything, and and it's not physically possible with with your time to really listen to everything. But I started trying really hard, right, <laughs> to to listen to everything. So if, while I was doing homework, I would have Django Reinhardt on. I, I couldn't like that stuff is so complicated that it was almost impossible for me to learn by ear. Yeah, but I was like I was just by hearing it so much, I was getting a, an understanding of, of some of what's happening here. Like right. they're, they're trading solos. There seems to be a part that where the melody is more basic than the rest of the song. And I, I learned later on when I was studying jazz that that's, that's the head mm. there. There's all, there's almost always a section of the song that's dedicated to just playing the melody. And and then there's and then there's usually the longer section of the song that's dedicated to to all that kind of abstract expression sure. where there's so much more going on than just playing the melody and uh, but more or less that that piece where where Slash describes an hour's worth of music yeah and it's a bunch of different stuff that's that made me go like I gotta. I got to start listening to more music and then, and then like to, to narrow it down, I did get to a point where I felt like I was more interested in jazz than any other genre. Right. (laughs) right. But I just, but I was just too late to the party. I was too late to the party. I was, my, my brain was too far along. And when I started actually studying jazz in college, I just got, I just ended up getting really upset with myself. I I, I was Mm. like, I couldn't, I didn't, I didn't quite have the, the focus to really just hone in on, on all that improvisation and, and all the, all the modes and scales and all the things that I needed to know to, to, to be, to be a person that could coherently improvise over any, any complex piece you put in front of them like yeah. that, that was going, if that was going to be my life's work, that, that was then if like, it, it was going to be my life's work to just, to just get decent at it. Sure. <laughs> like, and that, yeah. And that can be a sobering reality to realize that the, for you to get even just a little bit decent at it, you would spend the rest of your life doing so. And it's just, it's, it's tough and it's difficult and it's, it can be very upsetting. And I know as we're, as we're nearing the end of this segment and we're going to talk about your fantastic albums and specifically quiet lives in the next segment, but I want to know, you know, to, to get to, almost the the crux of some of your turning point musically i want to know so from that moment recognizing the the that you started too late i'll just say as far as like studying jazz mm-hmm. 
I know that you had a suicide attempt and uh, I believe what a, sh- a short stay in a psych ward. So, so what was, what, how did you, yeah. how did you, so let's, and, and I, I want to, I want to be, um, I want to be intentionally careful with how we talk through this, but I want to, uh, I want to, you know, it can be delicate, but I, it's important, I think also for your story. And so I want to know how you're able to, how you got to that low point and then what was some of the steps you took to start clawing out of that spot? And mm. then we'll talk about how you got back up and further up the mountain in the next segment. I, I can't, I think like choosing, choosing to, <laughs> like it, it was definitely a choice to kind of go like, yeah, jazz is, man, this is so, so hard. I could either choose to, to try and be a jazz musician to try and get through. Cause I think what it looked like at that, at that age, it looked like I'm going to, I'm going to get my associates here, mm. but then I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to find a way to get a scholarship. Right. To some, to somewhere like Berkeley or university of Ohio or something. Or, or, because there are actually a bunch of universities in the basically in the middle of America that <laughs> that that put way more emphasis on jazz guitar, right? Than than Berkeley College of Music, or or uh, or say or say Belmont. Yeah. So that's kind of a funny situation there. Um. And that and that all just, I think that all just looked like so much, <laughs> yeah. And and uh, and and more than I wanted to give to that. Mm-hmm. That because that was that was probably going to be like an eight year process. Yeah. Um, Truthfully, yeah. And then and then what do you and then what do you have after that? Even after that, you you probably don't have a way to make a living as a jazz guitar player. Right. Like you're probably even after that, you're probably not gonna gonna be that guy. Like the chances that you're gonna be that guy are really low. Right. Um. And then you just spend now, eight, and, eight plus years trying to do that. Yeah. Like the things my my jazz guitar instructors told me were not very like how they felt about my playing was actually was actually very good but they actually <laughs> i actually found out from another student the day that i quit the jazz program that emily my main my main instructor in jazz she had she had said to a student you, you know heath garrett garrett quit the program today it's really too bad i think i think he may he may have he may have had more potential than any other kid in this entire music program. <laughs> I never, I never knew. I found that out from another guy. Yeah. I never, I'm, she never told me that. Right. Yeah. If, if I, if I had to tell you what she thought of my playing, I would have told you that, that she was generally disappointed with my playing. Wow. But, <laughs> but, yeah. but, 
it turns turns out it's a very it's a very popular thing for jazz guitar for, or for jazz instructors in general to it's like there's this thing of just not being nice. <laughs> oh, I've seen I've seen whiplash. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like it's like that's, it's that's like a little extreme, not, but yeah, like like most of them are not that extreme, but there is this thing where we're like jazzers are are hard people yeah as like like as a rule they're hard people and they're and they're hard on people and uh so i i never knew that she felt that way i didn't know she felt that way until i quit and then and by then it was too late i was like i'm out i'm fully out i don't yeah <laughs> i don't i don't want to i don't want to set a i don't want to put a toe back in jazz until until i get my brain back right um from the last from the last two and a half years of just of just like trying to be this improvisational person but uh so that that was like that was one step toward the grave for me was was giving up on that yeah. <laughs> and then and then i and then I, I quit school and moved back in with my folks and got a job at Walmart and I went from I basically got a promotion relatively quickly from being a cart pusher to being moved inside to to work the sporting goods section yeah and when I was working the sporting goods section a dude conned me out of 150 bucks over the register and then and I had no idea. It turns it turns out there there are they they call it they call it being a change artist oh, where wow. where you go in where you go in and, and you and you get change from somebody, but all the while you're you're base you're like giving them fifty, or you're giving them twenty five to get back one hundred and fifty somehow. I don't know how this dude did that to me. Wow. But but I remember I I do remember vaguely that day going like something really weird just happened here. Yeah. I'm not sure if, I'm not sure if that, I'm not sure if I did that right. Mm. And then it turns out like there's, you could watch, you could, you could basically watch a video of me getting conned out of that money. (laughs) And, and they, uh, so the manager of that Walmart or the human resources lady, was like so 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 obviously we don't really trust you back here with that register so you can go back to being a cart pusher and i said well that'll be it for me i'm done yeah um i don't want to go back to that Uh, i think it was literally like a few months just a, a couple months. Um, oh no, that's wrong. Oh, I got part of that timeline wrong. I, I attempted, I attempted suicide before the change artist thing. Okay. Okay. I, I was still working at Walmart while I attempted suicide, which actually makes a lot of sense. Um, but, <laughs> uh, but, um, 
but the, but those were all kind of like part of the like a big like net like nelson mandela's time in prison or something sure, yeah. like like those were all like my my big kind of like man this is this is all all of this is not going well like yeah like jazz like jazz was too hard not even qualified to run a register at walmart yeah and uh and i, and I had just attempted suicide of, of i think a few weeks before that yeah. <laughs> like and and then I ended up on antidepressants because yeah. when, when you, when you, after, after your stint in psych ward, they, it's kind of, it's mandated that you, you get on a re, like a regime of, or regimen of, yeah. uh, of medication to, to kind of, to just keep you like level, keep you somewhere in the middle. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> so, so, so you're not taking up a psych ward hospital bed anymore. Right. Um, uh, and, and seeing a psychologist and I basically, I basically was just lying to this psychologist. Sure. I was just, I would just go in there and just tell her that I was feeling fine and that, and then, and then I would go to, to the, to the psychiatrist and just be like, yeah, I love these meds. Just keep giving me these meds. Right, <laughs> right. Cause yeah. I think. I think that that behavior went on for like a year. <laughs> yeah. Uh, um, and and I real I I realized like like three like three months into to the to that to the stack of medication that I was basically feeling nothing. Yeah. But but for a while I was like, this is way better than just feeling awful all yeah. the time. Yeah. Uh, but then. I went, I finally went to an open mic, I think after being on, on meds for just about a year. Yeah. So a, a year removed from, from suicide attempt and leaving Walmart, <laughs> I go to an open mic. I took, I took my parents with me. Uh, and, and my buddy my buddy that had been in Oklahoma that I went to high school with in Ecuador. Now he was going to Dallas Baptist university and he, and he came to that open mic with me as well. I did like two songs. I didn't feel good about it really. Yeah. But, but the response I got from a couple other open micers was, was good enough that I wrote Razorblade Family the following day. Wow. And I hadn't, and I based, and I kind of, I hadn't really felt any feelings for like for most of that year. And then I, and then I wrote Razorblade Family, which the following day, which is just brimming with all kinds of feelings. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, and, and then. Like I think that that hour or like the day that I wrote Razorblade Family was the day that I decided I was quitting, quitting antidepressants. Yeah. I was never going back. I was never going back to that psychiatrist ever again. Yeah. I was like, I, I have I have feelings like. My my whole world is upside down now, but in like but in the 
but in the good way. Yes. Like, yes. Um, like upside down where like, I'm just, I'm just like having writing razor blade family just put, just gave me like, like the, this, like the clouds had parted and there was sunshine right. and, and everything and everything was really nice for like 45 minutes yeah. <laughs> and, and that and that was and that was enough that was enough for me to go like no more no more any no depressions for yeah. me um no i think i think that's now, a, that's that's no. a good point that you bring up though because it's like you know i think so I think the thing, I think as a country, we could do a lot better job with regards to everybody's mental health and really just checking in and providing resources and services for folks. But that being said, I do think there is a rush to over-medicate folks as opposed to seeking out the root cause of certain behaviors or certain feelings and really addressing them and getting people mm-hmm. the proper help. And it's a, it's easy, as you pointed out, to prescribe somebody these type of antidepressants to keep them at a certain level and get them out, get them out of the, uh, out of the place. Um, and then as a result of that, yes, you're no longer attempting suicide, but you're also not feeling much of anything. You're just sort yeah. of puttering through life at this neutral state. And then when you have a moment where you feel genuine, authentic, organic feelings again, after not having felt it for so long to your point, it's, it's a defining moment. It's breathtaking. And so I can totally understand the not wanting to go back to the previous way of existing because anything less than what you were feeling would just not feel authentic. And so, yeah, you're going to have low moments, but you're going to have the high moments and you can appreciate the high moments because of the low moments and everything works, works there. So I think that's brilliant. And that's, and that's what kind of started that. I love that. Razor Blade family. Well, you're listening to After the Encore. I'm your host, Joe Shaw, and we'll be right back after this. Well, I ain't been to church in a too long a time. What happened there wouldn't change my mind. Only left me colder. Only left me stone and cold. Walked into the service with a Bible in my hand. Got a knife on a chain around my neck. Another one on my hip. You know, I turned to the congregation. Turned to make my peace. Said the words of the wicked lion wait for blood. Welcome back to After the Encore. I'm your host, Joe Shaw, and I'm here with Garrett Owen. And man, we have we've been through some shit in this episode. I mean, <laughs> been through a lot. And so I want to get to the point now. We were talking a little bit offline about how I discovered your music by reading an article that was written about your EP, the Sad-Eyed Son EP. And I heard Sad-Eyed Son for the first time. And man, there was something about the finger picking, the strumming, the 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 chord progression, the melody. It just it cut like I don't know. It cut me deep, and it just it felt like 
I don't know how else to say it. People from Texas or not from Texas are not going to get it, but it felt like home to me. It felt like Texas to me. And it <laughs> felt like, it felt like just one of those times, like, like walking or driving through like wide open spaces in mm. most of Texas and just like feeling invincible and also vulnerable at the very same time. You know, if you understand what I mean by that and I, yeah, I love I think that. I do. Yeah. <laughs> and so it just, it drew me to your music. And so I was excited that you were local. I wanted to support local and I could tell that this, like, this is one of the things that I like. I feel like sometimes when I like artists or when one likes an artist, um, even if they are not quote unquote as good as other people, um, might think you want to support them because you like them and you want to see them do well and you want more music. And, and I think there's sometimes where we support a group or a band or an artist knowing like they may have hit their ceiling, but I still want to support them. But there, but then we listened, but then we listen to other artists and we go, this is just the tip of the iceberg. Like there's a lot more here and I'm excited to see it develop. And that's how I felt when I was listening to the sad eyed son EP and then listening to like bag of broken bones. Oh, that song, whew, it gets me every single time. And just listening to these specific songs or even um, Distance, um, which is from the – was Distance on the EP or was that on the Garrett Owen album? I forget. Well, it's it's, uh, it's on both. And okay. The, I'll, I'll give you a little story about okay. – I'll stop peeping praise on you and <laughs> well, get some backstory. I, know, I, pre- I appreciate all that, man. Um. <laughs> The EP was never meant to be an EP. The EP was always, was actually, so I had, I had the, I did the, the thing with, with Everagio that became like the first really fancy article about me. Yeah. And then I got hit up by a guy named, well, I'm not naming him. Sure. You got I mean, hit up by somebody. We're finally, we're, we're, we're finally on speaking terms again. Okay. After, okay. after, after after a year and a half of not being on speaking terms. Uh, but this guy hit me up and it was, and he, he had listened to the slightly foreign EP that was on my website after reading about me in, in that observer article, in the Dallas observer article. Gotcha. Yeah. And he, and he hit me up and he was like, Hey, I, I manage, I've managed some artists that you may have heard of and he named them mm-hmm. and, and I had heard of them and they were local, but they were doing well. Um, right. And he was like, I'd really, I'd like to just talk to you about like, where are you at musically? What, what do you do for a living? What are your goals musically? What do you have a whole album? It, as far as, far as that articles, that article sounds like you have a whole album you're about to put out. I'd potentially like to help you put that album out. And then it was it was kind of like when you're when you're when you're talking to a girl and and like things are progressing. It was yeah. kind of a lot like that. This yeah. whole it became it became an artist manager relationship. Right. But but those those relationships come to be a lot like like most other relationships. relationships. Yeah. Like, yeah, it's similar in that like you go from like you're talking a little bit and then somebody makes a step forward. Right. And like. And so, and, and he, and he called me up one time and he was like, you know what, I, I, I want to help you put this thing out. I want to like, 
I want to like, like we're going to make a timeline. You, you don't have to pay any, pay me anything. If, if, if this turns into something, then I want to be the guy that manages you for the long haul. But, and, and if this thing falls apart, then, then, you know, hopefully nobody's feelings are hurt, but I want to help you put this thing out. I had the whole album already done. I had, I had, I, I already had, I had the whole album on vinyl already. Wow. I had CDs, but I was just peddling them around at local shows. And I was playing like 18 shows a month in Dallas and Fort Worth. Was this the self-titled, what became the self-titled album? Exactly. Got it. Okay. That's, and I'm talking, I'm talking, I'm talking like 20, 2016, 2017 time. You had it like, done at that point. Yeah. Yeah. It was all done. A whole album. Did it officially and, release this summer? Yes. Okay. June 2020. <laughs> I mean, Got I mean, it. to, I mean, to, to the internet. Yes. Sure. Right. But I, I was, yeah. But I was, I was, it was selling that entire, then. I was selling that entire thing on CDs and like, I never had a proper release. I just like got it on. I just had the vinyl and CDs made and, and started selling it around town. And I was playing like more than a dozen shows a month. Yeah. uh, Just around here, which I don't do anymore. Yeah. (laughs) Which I mean, nobody does it anymore right right now, but yeah, but even, but even, even given the opportunity, I wouldn't do that anymore now. I just don't like it but um um, uh but so that guy steps in and 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 we start working together and and we kind of we were able to capitalize on some of that observer love and and felt like like we were getting a pretty good pop off of putting out singles so we made those singles the ep Mm. And those singles, I think, were Sad-Eyed Son, Bag of Broken, Rose Hill, yep. Distance. Yep. Um, I forget. I'm not them. sure if Rose Hill was. At, I'm not. I'm not sure if Rose Hill was actually part of the online EP package or not. But maybe. It um, might have been. Yeah. Yeah, but those were those were most of them. Yeah. And. And then, so so all that's going pretty well. I get a, I did, I, he, that that guy had he had an, he had some connections down at South by Southwest, and he got me on some some, he got me on like one official South by thing, and then like four unofficial South by things, and then, and then. I came back. Yeah, it was like I got back. I got back to Dallas after South by Southwest 20, 20, 2017, I think. Mm-hmm. And I I got back and opened for Parker Millsap for the first time at the Kessler the following day. Oh wow. And that and that uh and I get off stage and Parker Millsap, I mean, and he I mean, it had nothing to do with me. Parker Millsap sold out that show at the Kessler. And uh, he came backstage after, after my opening set and he goes, 
goes, he, he gave me a hug and he was like, man, that just, that just seemed really honest. Are you touring at all? And, I, and I'm, and I'm like in the middle of putting my guitar away. Right. And, 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 I, and I was like, no, I mean, I, I just play around town. He goes, well, we're going to take you on a run. And he goes, we, we all just, we all just watched your, we all just watched a little bit of your set and, and we just decided we're going to take you on a run oh, with wow. us. And then, and then literally like straight up my, my manager gets a call two weeks later from, from Parker Millsap's manager. Uh, or they, they'd offered us, they offered us 12 dates and to open and put and potentially more. Wow. So, so I do, so, so I do the tour. It's safe for, I mean, safe for some really bad choices I made in Nashville related to like things you should or should not eat while you're on tour. (laughs) uh, Fair enough. I think I, I ate like so much Nashville hot chi- hot chicken that I gave myself like a, a really gnarly uh, UTI actually. Oh, no. um, oh my god! And then and then yeah, and then I had I had like a seven hour drive to play or like a seven hour drive to play somewhere in Ohio <laughs> during that time. And I and 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 I had to like I was I was I was pulling over to pee like every ten minutes. Oh my god! <laughs> like, it was. It was awful, but so so I so I do that tour. Other than that, it's like it's the best three weeks of my whole life. My favorite three weeks ever was spent opening for that guy. I get back, and like we had made a music video for Rose Hill, and to this day, like it's really good. Yeah, <laughs> and this, uh, and it was like it was really hard to get a placement for it. Like nobody. Nobody local, like in the press, wanted to help us premiere it. We got we got Huffington Huffington Post to premiere it, but they buried it mm. in in like underneath a gigantic, like hundred, like a hundred internet scrolling pages underneath an article about some Nashville musician's birthday that I'd never heard of. Of course, so, yeah. So so the print the premiere of that video was like a total bust. And, yeah. and then my, my manager decides that th- this is where he starts like stepping out in a way where, where he goes, I don't think anything else on here is really like a hit. You know what I mean? Like, that's what nothing, he's telling you. Like nothing. Yeah. yeah. And he's like, nothing else on here feels like a, feels like hits to me we've already put out all the really great ones so what i want you to do is is uh i want you to start cover i want you to put out to record some covers of like 90s girl pop songs what because because this guy named josh weathers went viral by by doing whitney houston's i will always love you and somebody got it on their cell phone and put it on YouTube and it went viral. So I want you, so we're, so we're going to try and, and, and like like capitalize that. on, on that kind of potential. And fast forward six months, we didn't work together anymore. 
like yeah like fast forward a few months and i was off like like i i won the telluride troubadour contest which is actually like one of the bigger songwriting contests in the country yeah and then and he he sent me an email like three weeks after that where (laughs) he goes you might you might want to take my contact off of your email i mean you might want to take my contact email off of you might want to take my email off of your contact page on your website yeah and that was that that was his way of like cutting ties (laughs) because i because i wasn't i wasn't gonna do the 90s girl pop thing right right (laughs) but i was also but i was also like totally in the dark on like what to do now with with the rest of that album so i just so i just didn't do anything with it and just started working on another one without ever finishing putting out that that first full length. Right. But so that's that's kind of how, how all that materialized. Like there's there's a there's a sad eyed son EP that never should have existed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Oh my goodness. Okay, so well you've you're continuing to grow, I think, locally in recognition and accomplishments and you're learning and growing. So how did we get, I want to, uh, I definitely want to spend some time talking about quiet lives. So let's kind of fast forward to what brought you back into the studio to record quiet lives. And what was some of the, uh, motivating factors and stories behind the album? Well, I just, as soon as I was done with that other one, I just kind of went, uh, I would, I would just, as things were coming out, like, I don't, I don't have like a strong writing discipline. I have more of a, like kind of based on what we talked about earlier, I have more of a, I approach writing from, from like, I'm sometimes I'm going to be able to write and a lot of times I won't <laughs> like, <laughs> and, uh, so I would finish something and then I would just go down to Taylor's down in dripping Springs and, and just record whatever I had. And then, and then I would go back a few weeks later and we would add to it. And then, and then I would have, I would not be writing and then I would write something and then I would book a date and then, and then the well would be dry for, a long time and then I would write like two songs and I would go do those two songs and we would mess with them and Taylor would make jokes about like so so is this all going to be an album and then I'd say yeah and he'd and he'd and he'd say like well what am I asking for you're never going to put out that first one so (laughs) like you're never going to put out this material either anyway uh and, and now I can kind of like shove it in his face and be like, well, it may not, may not ever go anywhere, but, but it's all out there now. So, right. um, uh, that's kind of how I would do it. Just super piecemeal, like, like write a song, go down there for a couple of days, have Taylor produce it and then, and then have nothing written for a while and then go back down there and try and record uh probably like bleeding through my shoes i must be evil 
um, souvenir. Those are those are the old songs. Yeah. Okay, Week, Weakest Hour, that's another old one. Those are those are the oldest songs that were probably that I think those were recorded pretty good while back, like 20 2017. Most of those were recorded during that year. Um, like around the time I did that South by like before getting the Parker Millsap tour. Okay. Um, the, the rest of the material I think was all written within like about the last, the last year and a half or so. So like, Hour in the Forest was mostly written last summer. Family of the Year last summer. Um, Modern Times wrote it last summer, I think. Uh, No One to Save You last summer. Mm. Um, So, so yeah, like, (laughs) like recorded those three and then, and then was, like writing nothing for like a couple of years and then and then uh and then just finally got to a place where I needed to write about like the last failed relationship and needed to write about this person I was really infatuated with and needed to write about this uh oddly enough like one of the most important things on the album to me is the verse in Hour in the Forest where I talk about this this girl that had a, a really striking tattoo of uh, yeah. where she has a tattoo. She had just a just a cool like just no color piece of uh, Harriet Tubman and Joan of Arc, but in in the tattoo, Harriet Tubman's holding a machine gun. Oh wow! <laughs> yeah, and uh, I worked I worked with this I worked with this girl every day at UPS when I was like when I was 23 yeah, and I never, I never spoke to her, never had a single conversation with her, but, but our shifts started at the same time. We even worked in different parts of the warehouse and I never really saw her except for when we were going into the warehouse. Um, so I, I saw her, her tattoo like every day, five days a week for almost two years and never spoke to her, but I, but I always, but uh, her tat—I've thought about her tattoo probably every day of my life <laughs> since then. Um, I mean, yeah. I mean, I guess you just reach—you reach a point where where you you finally processed stuff enough, and and you can and you can do something with it. But I go through long, long, long periods of time where where I I don't have anything to write about and and I don't uh I don't have a big problem with that. I don't like yeah. or or if a song wants to take a long time to be written, I don't really I'm not really too bothered by that, you know. Yeah. Definitely. Definitely. And you know, I want to know what as we're starting to wrap up the episode, I'd love to know what do you hope that folks get out of quiet lives when they when they start interacting with it and consuming it um i hope they just feel like they heard some cool stories and like if 
I mean, if they're if they're if they're like musician types, then I hope that they notice that there's <laughs> that there's some real music going on here. Yeah. Like I actually I actually used some of my some of my time spent studying jazz like on a bunch of this album. Like Hour in the Forest has like a very complex chord progression um in part of it. Uh Souvenir, the what I what I refer to as the chorus of Souvenir is a, a fourteen a fourteen chord long series of of chords that uh like I think like any musician would have an almost impossible time figuring out what's going on here yeah. <laughs> like in in that part of the song. But I mean but one of one of my like almost like a mistake with it is that I feel like I, I made the melodies on this album so smooth that you can't really tell that some of these songs are extremely complicated. Sure. But um but some some of them are. Some of them are, are really complex and even even the simple songs have have like have things in there that are not simple. Right. Um and so I, I hope some people are able to notice that because because it, it's it's been you know it, it's been all my brain power to to make to to bring to bring those things to life or or to like to be available to those ideas is right can just take a take a lot of time and mental space but but yeah like i i mean i hope they get images like maybe not full-on coherent stories i think they're there are days in my life when I'm, when I'm okay at being one of those, one of those songwriters that, that writes songs that, that are like coherent stories. Like a lot of Bruce Springsteen songs are like coherent stories where, where you, you get pretty strong pictures of of what, like what happened here between like two people or something like that. But where there's a real storyline and, and, and it plays out in your head kind of like a movie yep. where I, I'm not, I'm not habitually that kind of writer, but there are a few songs on the album that I think like have that covered. Like, yeah. And then, and then there's the rest of the album, which is my normal forte is just like stringing images together that, I know don't really have anything to do with each other, but, but you don't know that. Right. So, so you might like it regardless of the fact that it's not actually coherent. <laughs> sure. Yeah, no, I totally get that. I, I love that. I think one of the things that we've learned throughout this whole episode is that through the ups and downs of your life, you have had music as that one constant and it has been a companion and a friend and this physical manifestation almost of everything that, you know, um, has meant a lot to you. And so to have an album like Quiet Lives where you're able to reflect back on that and have such variety in works like Hour in the Forest or um, I Must Be Evil. Uh, I mean, like just these different different songs but you're still getting that interaction and it's different facets of a personality of the music as you see it and i think that's fantastic two final questions and then we're going to wrap up here first one if people want to follow you and see what you're up to what's the best way for them to do that 
I think I'm I'm Garrett Owen TX on all of the on all on all the the social media platforms like Instagram and Facebook. I think I think you can find me by Garrett Owen TX. Yep. On all of that stuff, Twitter as well. Even though I never use it, but <laughs> you're there. <laughs> um, yeah, my website is Garrett Owen dot com. I don't I don't know what my Bandcamp is, but I'm I'm sure it's easy to find. Like all the it's Garrett Owen dot Bandcamp dot com for those wondering. Cool. There we go. <laughs> right on. Um, and like all all the merch is up there, like the the sign vinyl and stuff, which is fantastic. Uh, thanks for. Thank, thanks for getting one of those. Yes, absolutely. I had yeah. to have it. So <laughs> there Fair we go. The last question here. If someone is listening and they're trying to break into the music industry, what is one either piece of advice or mantra that you have for yourself that you would like to impart upon them? Well, I'm, I, I still don't know anything about how to break into the industry. Sure. But uh, I just I just know that at this point – I think I think it's good for 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 you to create even if you don't know what's going to happen with it even if you have no idea what's going to happen with it and and if if you are a creator then you need to go ahead and keep creating and or or if you don't then start creating something because partly because you don't know what's going to happen like like Vincent Neil Emerson didn't know that like he didn't he didn't know four years ago that he was gonna become friends with Coulter Wall and then and then you know and then do and then do three tours with Coulter Wall and right. then be on the same label that Coulter Wall was now on. Like he didn't know that four years ago. Like you you never know what's gonna happen. Right. And uh, so I uh, I don't I'm not I'm still what I I call like. Sometimes I'm local famous. Sure. But yeah. I but I, I don't I don't know that I'm I don't know that I'm not gonna get any bigger than that necessarily. So um yeah, I just I think you don't know. So it's and Yeah. Yeah. I love it. You don't know, just create. Just create yeah. because you never know. I think Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think that's good. And 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 I think like it and and there are gonna be people that find it. Uh I like I'm really encouraged and really inspired by my friends, even though like I'm I'm kind of like I'm a little disappointed with, with where I'm at career wise, but but uh but I've got fellow musician friends that um that they tell me that they're that they love what I do and that they so sometimes I I get the most satisfaction out of knowing that somebody hears this stuff and goes like well it may this guy may never become a household name but this is but this but this is musically significant to me in my life and, and right and and I can hear that this that this guy spent his life trying to be good at this. Yes. And and uh, I don't know if if that ends up being my thing, and if that ends up being like where it's at for 
for a lot of musicians, that's fine. Also, to to quote my buddy, to to quote Matt Tedder, music music doesn't make you any promises. Yeah. <laughs> music, we as as musicians and creators, we we make we make the promises to music, mm. but um, but music promises you nothing. So. So the, the disappointment is not really warranted, but doesn't change the fact. <laughs> right. But but uh, but if you make a commit to a commitment to music, then that's what then then that's what you've committed to. It doesn't it doesn't really matter if if I end up on a hundred marquees across the world or not. Right. right? Mm-hmm. Love it. That's awesome. Well. I'm your host, Joe Shaw. You've been listening to After the Encore. Garrett, thank you so much for stopping by the show today. This has been absolutely fantastic. I was super excited for this one. So thank you. Thanks so much for having me. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start listening to these, man. Sounds good. Sounds good. Well, you like I said, this is After the Encore. And here to play us out one last time is Garrett Owen.
podcast is powered by Roberts Media Group, your resource for podcast development. For more programming and advertising opportunities, please visit us at robertsmediagroup.co.